is the Getsy Health Podcast with Janique and Tristan Roney. Hi, guys. Welcome back to our podcast. Hey, everyone. Um, we're really excited. Well, Tristan is really excited about today. You should see the notes that he took on like this entire episode. And he even told me, Janique, you need to stick with the schedule. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I did eight years of graduate school yeah. just so that I could do this podcast, this podcast episode because I got nothing else out of it. <laughs> <laughs> so you guys should feel really special right now. So I am going to try and stick with the schedule as much as possible, but um, this is actually going to be a really fantastic um, episode. Jokes aside, just because um, there's so much controversy with research and it seems like research is constantly um, contradicting itself. And so how can we teach you guys to become research experts and filter out all the BS out there? Because there's a lot. Mm-hmm. And this is a this is going to be a really challenging one to do because we've got this goal of helping you to really understand what is in the research without boring you to death and without completely disillusioning you and making you feel like nothing is There's real. There's no anymore. hope, right? Because that is one of the very real risks of what we're going to talk about is that you might completely lose faith in everything you hear when it comes to nutrition. And we don't necessarily want that, but we do want you to have a Not healthy, just nutrition, but research, basically. Well, like research around nutrition, research, research around medicines research and medications. especially in nutrition and health. We'll, yes. we'll put it that way. And uh, so I, I guess we should just jump in. Um, so the kind of the idea with this is that, that research is everywhere and people love to use research as weapons to mm-hmm. kind of defend their Opinions. particular approach to health, right? right. It, it starts to look a lot like religion. And I don't want to make this about religion. I know how upsetting that can get for people, but you do see a lot of similarities where people choose their their cult to follow Mm -hmm. and then they will defend it to the death and it turns out it's extremely easy to do that because no matter what opinions you hold there tends to be research that can support you and kind of dismantle your opponents but there are some systematic flaws in what happens with the research and how it's conducted. And that's really important for us to cover. So totally, let's dive into it. Let's do it. So the, the first thing that we want to cover so that you kind of know what even is research, because a lot of people don't waste their time with it, right? If you have contact with research, it's usually from like a third party, meaning that there was a website that was quoting a journal that was quoting a scientist, Mm -hmm. right? And so we've got- And completely out of context. Three degrees of separation between you and the actual research. Basically. A lot of you have probably never looked at an actual research article before. I think a lot of our listeners will have- Maybe. Maybe this is a a different type of group, but but your average American- probably Mm -hmm. has never looked at a research article, even if they have really strong opinions about health. And um, I don't blame them because research can be really dry. It can be challenging to get Mm -hmm. through and make sense of. Lots of buzzwords and big words. And and as it turns out, um, it's so full of uh, what we call methodological errors that it's not even worth spending time on in some cases. So there are a few different types of research out there that are uh, really commonly used to kind of, well, ultimately educate the public 
even though it's not necessarily accomplishing that. So, so just to clarify, we're talking about research and not articles that quote research. Correct. Okay? When I because say like what you do, like what most people do is they go on Facebook and they read this really inflammatory headline about a research article. Mm-hmm. That is an article. It's not research. And if you are lucky, they are going to put links to the research. This, so what we're talking about are those links that everyone loves to quote out of context. Right. So what I'm about to describe is the actual research that takes place and is conducted by scientists, scientists, ideally. Uh, And there are a few different types. The, The most common is what's called epidemiological research. And what they do with that is a bunch of questionnaires, meaning they go out to the people and they ask them, what do you eat and how healthy are you? And then they put all this data together to come up with correlations, meaning how healthy are people that eat these foods? How healthy are people that eat these foods? What types of diseases tend to be more common with people mm-hmm. that eat these types of foods, right? And and ideally, what would happen is you could come up with enough of these correlations to put together a good plan for yeah. people. However, there are problems that come with that. Now, before we go into those problems, there are a few different types of this epidemiological research. Sometimes they literally just contact people and ask them, what do you eat and how healthy are you? And right. that's the only contact they ever have with these people. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they... And, and just yes. to, to clarify, like with these epidemiological studies, they're trying to find the most average of average Joes. Okay. So... Popul- like people within the population that don't even represent everyone under the sun, potentially. Right. Yeah, I mean, they'll sometimes break it up into asking only females or asking only people of certain ethnicities. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for the most part, yeah, they're they're trying to cover as broad a group of people as they possibly can. And that means that, yep, they're looking for the average person. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you can probably already think of one of the problems here. If we're looking at the average American, how healthy is that person? Right. Right. Uh, probably not very Does healthy. Does the average American cases. represent you? Right. Because if they don't, then this research doesn't really apply to you. So, so sometimes they have one point of contact with them. They ask them questions. They say goodbye. That's the end of it. Sometimes they do follow them for a while and they'll track their diets over the course of, you know, a month, a year, it can vary. And, Mm -hmm. and they, they try to make longer correlations without uh, just getting that single point of contact. Uh, Sometimes, you know, they'll ask them, tell us about what you've been eating for the last 10 years. And then they try to come up with correlations based on that. Now, you might see a kind of a common pattern with all of these, and that's that they are relying on the report of the people they ask, right? right? And in most of these studies, they are not observing the people and their diets. They are simply asking them, please recall everything that you've been eating. So lots of space for incorrect information. Yes, but before we go there, there are a couple of other types of studies out there that I just want to mention because they will come up later. One of them is what's called the randomized control trial. That's often referred to as the gold standard of science because what they do, or at least attempt to do, is control every single variable out there, right? They, They try to control what food goes into your mouth. They try to control how much exercise you get. They try to control... Uh, how much sleep you get, right? Mm. I, I mean, there's all different things you can control, but but they try to control as much as possible. And by doing that, they can account for a lot 
more of the variation that they see in the outcomes that show up. And a lot of people that read research love RCTs. Yeah. Love <laughs> because of the control, right? Yeah. It, it allows us to make more confident um, assumptions, I guess, about what the data is telling us. Right. Uh, there are limitations of that too that we'll get to. The The biggest limitation being that it doesn't really correlate with real life, right? Exactly. We're not able to control everything in real life. So how well do these controlled trials apply to us as we go about our day without having all of the same amounts of sleep and types of foods and exercise and right. all that, right? And then there's a third type of study uh, worth mentioning here today, and that is kind of the, the chemical lab study. So if you think of your your archetypal scientist sitting in a laboratory with a Petri dish and a bunch of chemicals, right? That's Mm -hmm. what this is where they've got uh, maybe a dish full of cancer cells and they're dropping different substances, types of vitamins maybe on the cancer cells and seeing what happens. Right. And then they report those results and um, we're left to sort of figure out how that applies to a human body. And in some ways it can, and in a lot of ways it really cannot. But uh, that, that kind of constitutes the majority of the research that you'll see in the literature, which then gets passed on to the popular websites and different reporting publications out there, and then that gets passed on to people. So to kind of we're going to start getting into the problems with this now, but right off the bat, you know, here's a question to ask yourself. Tell me every single food that you've eaten for the last two weeks. Ready? Go. Johnny, go. Oh, you want me to do it? Sure, you do it since you're actually um, here. Tons of vegetables. What tons? How yes. many? How many calories of vegetables and what kinds of vegetables? Oh, I don't know. Exactly. T- different, all types of kinds, I guess. Okay. Um, <laughs> all right. How about sugars? How many added sugars did you have? Oh, I don't know. How many grams but of red meat did you have? I have no idea. How many I know servings I had of some eggs? yesterday. I've probably had like maybe six eggs in the past week. Maybe. All right. But you guys kind of get the point, right? So that is essentially an epidemiological study we just carried Mm -hmm. out. (laughs) (laughs) The worst kind of your entire life. The sloppiest (laughs) one possible. But to be fair, not all that different from what happens in real life. Right. Um, I'm going to jump ahead a little bit from our notes here and just say that most of these studies that they conduct where they're asking people to report on what they're eating end up so flawed that they are physiologically impossible. And what I mean by that is that people are reporting that they're eating so few calories that that it's not sustainable. In real life they would die from starvation, right? Because like it can't even sustain their metabolic there's there's this thing Love. called the basal metabolic rate, mm-hmm. which is how many calories your body needs just to sustain alive. life. And that's mm-hmm. if you really don't move all day long. Right. And these people are reporting that they are not even eating that many calories, right? And, and as it turns out, the higher a person's uh, BMI, meaning the higher their weight is compared to their height, mm-hmm. the more that gap grows between what their body needs just to sustain itself and how much they're reporting. And that's just how broken this measurement system is. Right. Right. And uh, there's someone that we really like to follow. His name is Chris Kresser. He's very knowledgeable in the nutrition field. And he, he likes to say this, I don't know the word for word quote, but it's basically if you had a scale that consistently was wrong and you knew it was always going to be wrong, 
would you use that scale to make decisions about what to do? Absolutely not, right? right? Because you would know that it's going to misguide you. It's going to lead you in the wrong direction. Yet that is exactly what we're doing with these epidemiological studies. We know that we're getting bad information, and yet we're still using it to make major policy mm-hmm. in our country. And that is and then, then force everyone to, to abide by those policies as well. That's what's creating the common wisdom of our day. Yes. And that's probably why the average person is not very healthy because mm-hmm. they are full of common wisdom that is not very wise. Right. So there, there are a couple other issues. The, the biggest one, and this is one that I will harp on every day. This is just like hormesis that came up last time. I'm going to talk about it every chance I get. And that's this concept of correlation is not causation. And what that means is, do you want to say what that means? Or do you want me to just say what that means? Go ahead, means? You're doing I'm on awesome a roll, right, right now. So I'll so, just like comment every now and then from the peanut gallery. So you, you're, you're in a roll. So correlation is how well two things kind of relate together, right? The more you eat, the more weight you gain. That's a a positive correlation Mm -hmm. or the less you sleep, the sicker you get. That's a negative correlation. One gets lower, the other gets higher. Right. right? And when we ask all these different questions about what do you eat and how healthy are you? That's, that's basically what we're coming, coming up with is a bunch of correlations. Mm -hmm. We, we want to see how much does the amount of uh, candy bars you eat in a week correlate with how many times you vomit in a week. Mm-hmm. And then we come away with this number that says, wow, they are, you know, really well correlated. But that is not the same thing as causation, because with causation, that means that we have the ability to predict what will happen based on what we do right now. Meaning if I um, spray you with a spray bottle, I can predict with 100% accuracy you're going to be wet, right? I yes. mean, that's the most obvious causation thing that I can come up with right now. But what I cannot predict with hundred percent accuracy is if I feed you a, uh, a donut right now, I cannot predict with any accuracy how that's going to make you feel in 48 hours. But we can't predict that it's going to spike your insulin levels. We can assume that it's going to spike your insulin levels. We know it does. Well, we have some information that the average person will experience a spike in right. insulin because the of average that. person uh-huh. versus people that don't fit into that category that have like insulin resistance, for instance. Yes, exactly. So, there are exceptions so you see how, to that. Yeah, there's so many exceptions to the rule. And and how do you know if you are the exception? Right. You don't. Right. Right. In so, most cases. So let me ask you this because a lot of people are probably like scratching their head. Where does correlation fit with? Like, how should we interpret it? How should we use it in our daily lives? Because I appreciate correlative studies. I like patterns and I like deciphering patterns. And so I'm not going to say this is 100% true, but don't you think that correlation has its place? Correlation is playing with fire. That's the problem with it. Because as soon as you accept that correlation has authority, yes, you fall into the trap of having to equally accept Mm -hmm. all correlation because how do you know when that correlation is not actually causation? So can we accept correlation and keep an open mind that that opinion will potentially shift according to 
more research that comes out? I think that we can look at correlation as a guidepost of where to look in more detail. I love that. And that's the best that we can say about it. So do not use correlation as the golden rule or truth or look at it like it's a Bible. The absolute worst thing you can do is change your lifestyle habits based on a correlative study. study. Right. Exactly. That's absolutely awful because look at this. There's, there's uh, some research papers. There's all kinds of research paper, papers out there that they, they not only come up with correlations, but they try to come up with a uh, sort of a predictive formula that mm-hmm. says, if you, kind of if you eat this much of this food it's going to increase your risk of this disease by this much. Mm-hmm. So let me be more specific with that. Um let's say we're looking at cups of coffee. So they found yeah. that drinking 3 cups of coffee actually increases longevity by some, you know, 40%. I can't remember the exact number. Mm-hmm. But if you actually do the math on that and you you calculate it out to lifespan what you end up with is if you drink three cups of coffee every day, you will live 12 years longer. Right. Which is maybe ridiculous. that's true. Maybe that's true with coffee. Coffee is pretty amazing. It makes people feel really good. But it think has a of lot of antioxidants. All right? the other factors that come into play when it comes to health so, and longevity. So, so here's another one that's a little bit crazier. If you eat 12 hazelnuts a day, according to the correlation research out there, you will live 12 years longer. Right. Right, we're, we're talking about hazelnuts here. They're not exactly a superfood, last I checked. Right. But you'll live 12 years longer based on the research out there. Mm-hmm. That Ridiculous. sounds a little bit shady, yes. right? All right, so one more. But but here's the thing is like people that write articles that you see on Facebook, they love this kind of stuff because it's right. it's sexy and it grabs your attention and they make money every time you click. It's really easy to write a sensational headline based on this type this, of a, a research exactly. thing. Um, and so, And that's where they get you. And that's where you need to just go in with both eyes open. Right. So last one, just to illustrate just how ridiculous this is. If you eat two strips of bacon per day, it will decrease your lifespan by a decade. Now, now that might sound all reasonable. All the bacon to lovers out there are that, groaning. Right. That might sound reasonable <laughs> to some people, but here's where it gets crazy. That is more than the amount your lifespan is decreased by smoking every day. And all now, right? yeah. They're claiming, without really realizing it, they are claiming that eating bacon is, is worse for you than smoking. smoking. Mm-hmm. And I know there's a lot of vegans out there right now just cheering and saying, well, obviously <laughs> everybody already knew that, but, but really that's, that's kind of ridiculous. And then, you know, another, there's a, there's a study from uh, the, the JAMA, right? The journal of the American medical association, mm-hmm. a really reputable journal. They went through a cookbook and they looked at all of the ingredients in this cookbook and then they went to the literature and looked at all the correlation studies with these foods and cancer. 80% of the ingredients in this cookbook were positively correlated with cancer. Mm -hmm. 80% of the foods. This was not a crazy cookbook full of like deep fried donuts and whatever. So basically what you're saying is you can find any kind of research out there that will confirm your bias. So if you want to find research that says fruits are cancerous, you'll find it. If you want, oh, I just read something on Facebook yesterday where they're like eating ice cream for breakfast helps boost your mental stamina. And so you, you can literally find anything that confirms anything. Right. And that's obviously problematic when it comes to trying to make decisions in your own life. Now, 
let's see what else is worth. I, we have, by the way, I am using research studies to tear apart the research here. And I, I see the irony in that, but, uh, I'm going to, there's going to be a download that you can go and snag that has all of this information. It has all the tons of links, research links, Uh, I think it's going to be really helpful for people that do want to get a little bit down and dirty with the data on this, Mm -hmm. but, um, just know that I'm not just pulling the stuff out of the air. This is very serious scientists who see how their own field is being kind of corrupted and Mm -hmm. used improperly by other scientists. Even we haven't even talked about this yet, but scientists themselves are guilty of creating sensationalist headlines based on their own research because they will do a correlation study and in their own paper, they will make assumptions based off of that research that is not actually scientifically valid. So they'll see a correlation between you know, hazelnuts and lifespan. And then they'll say, therefore we think everybody should eat more hazelnuts every Mm day. And while that might seem like a reasonable thing to claim, the science does not allow you to actually claim that they're, they're breaking some of the most foundational principles of good science by doing that, which just gives all the more ammo for these other, you know, sensationalist headline writers like Buzzfeed to run with it and, make a big deal out of it. And then of course Mm -hmm. it filters out to the government organizations who then make policy based off of this very flimsy science. And then we get to a situation where the whole country is just eating terrible foods and making terrible health decisions and calling it the most obvious truth out there. It's uh Despicable. And we haven't even gone into financial bias, guys. <laughs> oh, gosh. I know. Yeah. <laughs> I know. That's probably going to so, take up like the next 40 minutes. So I'm actually going to, I'm going to skip the section on the different types of bias out there that people have when they report. Cause I feel like we kind of covered that pretty well. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are lots of ways that bias can kind of mess up these reports. And it's not even that people are intentionally misleading with what they report. It's just that our, our brains are designed to take certain shortcuts, right? We, we subconsciously, if not consciously want ourselves to look good in front of others. And that's why we report eating fewer calories than we really do. Uh, not because we're trying to lie, but because our brain will literally forget some of the things that we ate in order to look better when we have to report it. Mm -hmm. Um, we also, oh, this is a huge trap that people fall into all the time, including the scientists, and that's this idea of reverse causation. And with reverse causation, that's the idea that we see a correlation and we say, oh, bacon is correlated with lower lifespan. Therefore, bacon causes a lower lifespan, right? Mm-hmm. That would be what people assume is true about it. But when you actually get down to it, that correlation could easily be saying the opposite, Right people who are not going to live very long because they've got maybe bad genes or something also tend to have a love for bacon. Right. Right. So the bacon has nothing to do with the fact that they're not living as long. It just has to do with it, who it attracts. Yeah, exactly. Got it. Right. And you can do the same thing with cancer. You could say that um, soybeans cause cancer, right? There's correlation yeah. that shows that, but you could also say, 
people that have cancer also love soybeans. So maybe the cancer actually causes a craving for soybeans. We're not saying this is true, guys. No, we're no, just no, no, using no. using these as extreme examples. What we're saying is that it's just as ridiculous to claim a food causes cancer based on correlation as right. it is to say that cancer causes you to crave certain foods. Yes. Now, what if there are thousands and thousands of research papers that all come to the same correlations. Are they all using the same flawed methods? So what if they are controlling as many aspects as possible in their studies? Because I know you and I spend hours like, Mm -hmm. like with a fine tooth comb reading over studies. So what would you say is acceptable for you? Because you and I have come to conclusions, right? Sure. How did we come to those conclusions? Well, I mean, Usually through experience, right? Is that what you're referring to? I wouldn't like experience, but there is research that we actually do rely on. Like we, cause I love research and mm-hmm. you love research. Mm-hmm. So explain to people what is happening in our minds when we are utilizing some of the better research to help educate our clients. So there's, there's going to be a lot that goes into that. And part of it is there's, there's faith involved in this. I'm not going to pretend that everything we do is entirely based on scientifically valid data, mm-hmm. right? Because at some point you do have to guess because there's always going to be a gap right. out there between yes. what we know and what we have to decide on. Well, and and before, because I don't want to forget this, a lot of the time we come to these conclusions based on anecdotal evidence as well. And, like, and, and through our experiences, but I, I would argue that that anecdotal evidence in a lot of cases is every bit as valid mm-hmm. as some of this massive research that's totally. being produced with thousands of participants. It's, it's so valuable to us. Um, one, and, because we're seeing it firsthand, mm-hmm. you know, and we see all the factors that go into it, but back to the original question, like when, when do we hit a point when we're like, I'm going to accept this research and share it with our clients and have them go from there. So, I don't know that I'll ever reach that point. What I will Mm -hmm. get to is a point where I say, you know what, this is worth taking to the next level and taking to the next level means applying it in a real life situation and seeing what happens. Right. And that's, that's what we have to do at the clinic all the time with the hyperbaric oxygen. Mm -hmm. There's lots of research that suggests certain possibilities. It's not enough to say, Oh yeah, they did this randomized controlled trial and they found that it was 100% effective for this issue. Right. Right. I would love to have that. We don't have that. So what we get is, Hey, there's, there's an Avenue worth exploring here. And then we have to look at the, potential downsides, right? Side effects, costs, time, all of that sort of thing and say, okay, I think that this is worth looking at. And then we try it, right? We actually perform our own research in Mm -hmm. the clinic, in people's lives, and we see what happens for them. Yes. And if nothing happens, then nothing happens. And then we're far less likely to continue trying that with other people. But if they get good results from it, that to me is sticks. way more valuable than all of the research out there saying we looked at thousands of correlations and mm-hmm. look at this, right? Right. So so ultimately good science is the science that applies to you personally mm-hmm. on an individual level. Yeah. Right. That's the only kind that is actually relevant to you mm-hmm. because even if they do a randomized control trial and they literally do control for everything out there, you're not part of that study. Right. You do not have the same physiology 
or, or environment genetic. or a genetic mm-hmm. code mm-hmm. as the people in the study. Exactly. You might be that one individual who responds completely in the opposite direction to a particular food yeah. than everybody else. So, so, so basically the takeaway that I think Tristan is trying to get at is use science and put it in a space that doesn't create immovable rules for you. Mm-hmm. Is that what you're trying to say? Yeah, I think that's a big part of it. Always Absolutely. keep an open mind. Always keep researching. But I'm not done. I'm not done breaking this down and making people oh, feel horrible yet. I, <laughs> I'm not ready to give them hope. I so wanna... I'm trying to give people hope, and you're just like, I just want to tear this whole thing down. So, um, okay. We'll, so keep we'll, going. Also, are you really proud of me that I am sticking to the topic and the bullet points? You're, you're am doing, I doing great. Good? I'm so proud. <laughs> I'm so proud. So, so let's get into some of those other types of research. We've kind of, we've, we've definitely hit up the epidemiological studies. We've covered the randomized controlled trials and how they tend to be limited because you are not in them and they control for so much that it's hard to apply it to the real world. Let's talk about those lab studies for a second, right? So yep. let's let's talk about how they can, in a laboratory, put two substances together and see how they interact with each other. And then they report that and we get all excited as a, as a population because we see, oh my goodness, there's this polyphenol that's found in carrots and it kills cancer cells, right? right? How often do you see those articles that come out that say they found something that kills cancer cells? And then everyone's like, oh my gosh, we're just years away from curing cancer. Or even better, there's an essential oil. Oh (laughs) yeah. So a few years ago it was, uh, uh, Boswell. Thank you. Frankincense Mm -hmm. is the popular word for that. Um, I cannot they, tell you how many people sent me all of these articles on how frankincense could kill cancer and we should do enemas for Tristan. So yeah, frankincense, <laughs> frankincense. enemas. I mean, that could still be fun, but um, w- so here's where the research saved us a lot of time and trouble, right? As we actually dug into the research, we found the limitations that the the popular media was not reporting on, which is that in order for your body to actually get this Boswellia component into it, so not just the frankincense, it has to be the Boswellia, mm-hmm. you have to actually get solid frankincense into you. Right. The, the oil itself not does oil not contain extraction. it because it's too heavy. When mm-hmm. they distill the oil, the heavy Boswellia is left behind. Right. So all these people are using frankincense essential oil thinking that it's curing their cancer and it they're not even getting the component that was in this research right now i'm not going to go and tell those people oh sorry you're you're not curing your right. cancer because their belief is fantastic their belief is more powerful than the boswellia mm-hmm. ever would be but that's you know i it didn't work for me right i wasn't about to go do something that was very clearly not even accomplishing what they said it would so right. that's yeah that's a fantastic example of it mm-hmm. and and what really happens though is we get into this uh trap of using what's called reductionism and that's the idea that if we can break something down into its component parts then we can figure out which parts are responsible for the benefits we want and then we just have to superload that particular part, which is basically what the medical industry does, right? That is it absolutely breaks that's, everything into teeny tiny compartments and things. If you can just manipulate this one compartment, all your problems are solved. But yeah, what the, we know is that it creates a domino effect of destruction within the body. The process of creating a medication, right? An FDA approved medication is they go out into nature and they find plants 
that have certain benefits. And then they, they take that plant back to the lab. They break it down into all its little parts and they try to figure out which one of those little sub components of the plant is actually mm-hmm. responsible for the benefits. And then they try to hypersaturate that, mm-hmm. that little part and create a drug. And that's how we got basically every major drug that we have today. And and that including, that's including chemotherapy. Well, I remember chemotherapy's in there. Yeah. I remember your oncologist was like, you know, technically chemotherapy is completely natural. <laughs> and I remember being like, Oh really? <laughs> Do you technically that? it is. Yeah, absolutely. And uh that's I mean Tylenol, right? Mm-hmm. Comes from that. Um so so that's called reductionism. And while it has led to a lot of benefits in modern medicine, some of those medications that they've been able to create save lives, mm-hmm. right? They can, they can stop you from dying. So they are fantastic in acute emergency situations. Yeah. We have been repeatedly disappointed by the results of using these component parts in super form for medication to treat chronic disease. Right. Things like cancer, things like diabetes, mm-hmm. things like heart disease. We are not making progress on any of these fronts using, using this particular method. This, the reductionism mm-hmm. is failing us. Absolutely. Um, I don't know. Is it worth talking about any of the other examples? I feel like- I think we should talk C, about vitamins. Vitamin C like, in particular. Because like, we are all so obsessed with vitamins and we don't recognize that they're actually synthetics. All right. And- Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. No, so I came from a, a hospital environment. That's where I worked before I was diagnosed with cancer and then got kicked out of the military. I was in the hospital, so I worked with doctors a lot. And medications were everything, right? They wanted to prescribe something for every symptom that they saw. Mm-hmm. And it drove me crazy. And I left that thinking, oh, good, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to transition into the alternative health world. It's going to be so different. And I came to, you know, we started spending time at the shop where we sell supplements. Mm -hmm. And as it turns out, people do the exact same thing in the alternative health world. They want a supplement to solve their problems. Instead of a proton pump inhibitor, they want some kind of essential oil or Mm -hmm. some kind of a a mushroom or a vitamin that is going to do the same thing, right? I'm just going to take a super dose of this and bam, that's going to solve my heartburn. Right. Right. Well, even even more specific is going back to the vitamins, the ascorbic so, acid, right. where we're completely hyper concentrating the vitamin C, but we're not even looking at the cofactors that nature mm-hmm. intended for vitamin C to be paired with, so that your body could fully absorb it. Right. So on most medication, not medication supplement labels, when you buy vitamin C, you'll see. In the actual nutrition facts, it doesn't list vitamin C for it's most of them. Ascorbic acid. It says specifically ascorbic acid. Which is actually, you guys, from corn. It's highly processed corn. Yep. And so, and I, and I mean, like in the natural world, we, we all hate corn, right? But and, we're totally fine with it being completely modified as ascorbic acid. Yeah, and, and a lot of these vitamins also are byproducts of petroleum processing, mm-hmm. Think about that for a second, right? Super fun. And oh, also most of these natural vitamins, well, not natural, but uh, these vitamins that you get at the supplement store are produced by big pharma. Yeah. Right. The same people making those medications that you detest so much. They're also making the vitamins that you love so much. Isn't that great? They're hypersaturating like every aspect of the health and medical world. Right. So, so getting back to the vitamin C, then we've got this ascorbic acid piece that, that is 
people take it in ridiculously high doses, right? Vitamin C IVs mm-hmm. are all the rage right now. And I'm not going to say they don't do what they claim to do, but most of the time- Is there a point time, where you're hurting yourself? Potentially, right? Yes. Well, we've seen that in our clinics we, too. We, we know that because mm-hmm. what happens when you're only getting one component of this full complex is your body has to pull out the supplemental Other, mm-hmm. pieces in order to create a complete complex and get the benefits from it. And over time, if you're only doing this ascorbic acid piece and not the rest of the complex, you're going to get depleted of everything else. Exactly. And what tends to happen is people start to develop the symptoms of vitamin C deficiency, right? Which exactly. is- which is uh, not fun. Your connective tissues start to break down, right? It's yes. it's low grade scurvy, and it comes because of the supplement that you think is Helping supposed you. to be giving you all the benefits. Exactly. Right. Yep. And by the way, this this information you will not find in a modern day research article, right? Because they don't research this stuff. Man, we haven't even got to the the big scandalous part of this yet. Which is what? Talking about the relationship between the big pharma and the research and the government. No, we haven't. Oh, how long? I know. <laughs> how much time do I have? Okay. Maybe we should just jump into it. Okay, let's let's wrap up the supplementation. Okay. And then let's jump into... So, so don't treat your supplements the same way that everybody else treats medications. That's kind of mm-hmm. the takeaway, right? That, that health is a holistic system, meaning it requires complete parts of everything. It requires a, a, an exercise component, a nutrition component, a spiritual component. It requires whole foods, not just broken down parts of foods. It requires a balanced diet, not just focusing on one healthy food and eating nothing but that. Exactly. I I, I think that kind of sums that up. Yeah. Good job, babe. (laughs) We're doing Awesome. So, Keep going. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> by the way, a lot of fad diets are also the result of this kind of reductionistic thinking where right. they find a correlation, shall we say lectins, mm-hmm. and they say, oh, wow, lectins are correlated with digestive issues. Let's, let's run with that. Let's create an entire lifestyle program around that one correlation. Right. And it does happen to work for some people, but uh, a lot of people are disappointed with the results they get because they're only focusing on that one reduced piece of the picture. Exactly. Okay. Shall we talk about blatant corruption? Do it. Go. So go babe. Here's what happens. Um, we, we have this situation in our country, which actually is taking place in the rest of the world as well, where the power that exists, meaning big pharma in this case has created this perfect vortex that protects its power and continues to enrich it at the cost of everybody else. Mm -hmm. And this, this, by the way, there is a fantastic article out there. I'm going to post a link to it in the show notes, but uh, this, this guy did some really great research on it. He put together this fantastic diagram that helps break it all down. It's really intense. It kind of looks like, something that a conspiracy theorist would put together. But uh, once you start digging into it, you see that this whole thing, it's, it's research-based. This guy is using the research to show you how corrupt the research is. Yep. So it's, it's kind of cool stuff, but it's also really disturbing. So what happens is first, the politicians out there are affected by lobbyists, right? We all know how lobbyists have 
a lot of influence on Capitol Hill. They're able to- AKA lots of money. They have money, right? Tons of money. And because of their money, they're able to get FaceTime. And because they have FaceTime, they're able to get their ideas passed Mm -hmm. across the politicians. So the politicians pass these laws that accomplish a couple of really important things for the drug companies. First, they defund the nonprofit research organizations. And what are those? It's it's the universities, right? Mm -hmm. The, one of the primary purposes of universities, in addition to educating young minds, is to create research and to help guide American policy with evidence. Exactly. So, so let me pause you here. When you were getting, when you were in your PhD program, yep. who was funding your research? All right. So, how does how does that look? You've walked this walk. Mm-hmm. Um, explain to us what that looks like. So, one of the the first research studies that I participated in as a graduate student, and I I ran this study, uh, was paid for by the same group that we were researching. Does that make sense? So what was it on? We were looking at a specific type of group therapy. Mm Mm-hmm. And Which group therapy? Do uh, you want me to name it? I don't know if Are I want to name to? it. Okay, uh, never mind. I'm not comfortable naming it, but okay. it, it, it's it's a specific type of group therapy that is only done by a specific group of practitioners okay. in America, mostly okay. in America. So it's a style of therapy. A style of therapy, and they and they were paying for you to see if this style of therapy was effective. Exactly. Okay. Yep. And of course, they invited me to their conferences. They they fed us, they mm-hmm. housed us. Wined and dined you. You could say that. Yep. Mm-hmm. And and then we were expected to come back with our results and tell them what the research thought about their study. Yeah. Now I'm not going to tell you that we were changing the outcomes that we saw mm-hmm. because there was money involved, right? We weren't right. lying in order to support what they wanted us to to conclude. Right. But um I can guarantee that subconsciously there was a factor there. Mm-hmm. And in fact, the research does and a pressure? show. Uh, certainly there's pressure. Mm-hmm. Yep. But the research does show that when a, a company is paying for mm-hmm. research to be conducted, the research is like twice as likely to show good results in exactly. favor of that company. Exactly. That is, and, and it happens systematically. So it's not just chance that right. that's occurring. Like there's a problem. Like for instance, as a great example in was it 1965 where the sugar manufacturing companies actually paid Harvard um, researchers, Harvard, Harvard guys, like Harvard researchers to prove that fat made you fat and not sugar. Mm-hmm. So sugar companies paying researchers to tell everyone Look over there. There's the problem. It's right. not the sugar. So it's the fat. Prior to that, in the 1950s, research had started trickling out, showing a correlation between, between sugar. sugar and now, mind you, just a correlation. Mm-hmm. But uh, there was starting to become public sentiment against mm-hmm. sugar because of the cardiovascular issues that it seemed to be creating. Right. And the the big players in the sugar industry, right? They they went to Harvard and they said, Hey, here's Create a bunch a of money. Will you, will you do a study on this? Mm-hmm. And Harvard published these studies showing, Oh my goodness, cholesterol is so terrible. Fat is so bad. Look what it's doing to our hearts. Mm-hmm. And it started a tidal wave of public policy and research that still trickled into the early two thousands to this day, mm-hmm. to this day, people are still terrified to eat fat because they think it makes people them think fat. cholesterol is awful. They think it's a poison. Mm-hmm. And what do we know about cholesterol? Did we talk about this already? No. 
What do we know about cholesterol? That it, well, we talked about it in a different podcasts. It makes hormones. It yeah. It literally is like the outer layer of every single cell in your body. If you don't have cholesterol, you're not making hormones. You're not making energy. Mm. You like you cannot function properly. And more recently, we're also finding that the cholesterol you eat is not actually related to the cholesterol in your blood. Mm-hmm. So, um, unfortunately we have already had 50 years of public policy and public sentiment mm-hmm. against it. And in the meantime, we've gotten sicker and sicker. Totally. Right. Um, so, so back to our little power vortex here, right? Mm-hmm. So first you've got the, well, the drug companies. I don't know what came first at this point. It's been going on for so long, but, but right. politicians pass pro drug policy mm-hmm. and they make it harder and harder for independent research to take place. Right. And then the second thing that happens is international trade agreements are created in favor of these drug companies because they help export the same system to other countries, right? They have clauses that prevent other countries from basically creating competition Mm -hmm. for the American pharmaceutical industry. For example, uh, actually, I don't know if I could give specific examples. They're trying to come up with trade agreements that prevent Canada for charging lower drug prices. Like insulin, for instance. On things like insulin than mm-hmm. they do in the United States. Because right. what will happen is people will then just go to Canada to get their drugs or they'll have they their, actually their are family doing members. That. Tons of people try to get their insulin from Canada. I think there was a politician who actually said that that's what people should do because they were asking questions about, this is so frustrating that it's so expensive here and so cheap in Canada. It's like, well, you should just go to Canada and get it. Right. <laughs> like that was going to be a matter of public policy. Public policy is go to Canada if you want cheap drugs. Ridiculous. We can't do that here. Um, but then uh, the other thing that happens is they, they make it almost mandatory for other countries to use American drugs. Mm-hmm. I don't really want to pull out the vaccination issue, but that is one of the the drug categories that they try to push on other countries through right. these trade agreements. Exactly. And and they do it under the guise of humanitarian aid, right? We just want to help these countries, so we're going to force them to use our medications. Right. Uh, they they say weapons of mass protection basically. Yeah. Like yeah. That's inflammatory, <laughs> like, right? <laughs> yeah. So so then what happens is we've already talked about how the universities lose their their independent funding so that they can study the stuff they want to and in order to make up that shortfall in cash, they have to turn to the the big money that's out there, the corporations. Mm-hmm. And the corporations say, "Sure, we'll give you all kinds of money to do research." As but, long as it's uh, in our favor. Well, they're never going to say that. They don't have to say that, mm-hmm. right? That's that's where that kind of subconscious bias starts to come in that I talked about in my own situation. And so you get all of these studies being published that are far more likely to favor the corporations funding them because of that unconscious bias that takes right. place. And then you have these big media companies that love sensationalistic headlines. So they take it and they turn it into a, Oh my goodness, look how terrible such and such a food is. Or, Oh Mm -hmm. look, we're all going to be saved by this miracle drug that Mm -hmm. was just created. And then the people read these articles and of course they're never touching the actual source material, nor do they understand all the biases that go into this research. And they say, Oh yeah, that's how it is. And so we start to idolize Right. These medications, 
we start to look to them as our saviors. And so, and, and just to touch on that, we're seeing this happen right now. And I know this is a very inflammatory topic, but there is a lot of um, censorship right now around anti-vax movements. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I'm not saying this is an anti-vax um, podcast, mm-hmm. uh, but like s- blocking well, any information, right. any information on any opinion is just wrong. It's un-American and, um, and we should be able to have conversations about these things. But for instance, a lot of doctors, um, alternative doctors are pointing out to everyone online. Like for instance, when you go into Google and you type things in Google, like vaccines are, and then it says safe, blah, 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 blah. And then it says organic foods are a myth, not true. And so, Mm -hmm. so even Google and Facebook and Instagram are working with big pharma and these, um, drug companies to subconsciously sway the opinions of, of everyone else. Right. And so to be very, very clear, we are not anti-vax. No, we are pro Pro choice Mm -hmm. in the terms of, we want people to have the freedom to make their own medical decisions for themselves and their families. And we are pro freedom of speech. We believe people should be allowed to state their opinions and they should be required to defend those opinions, but they should be allowed to state those opinions without fear of being censored. But just, just going back into the drug companies infiltrating media and television shows and Mm -hmm. education and public policy, um, it's it's this very subconscious, subtle movement. Like like I said, going to our Google search engines, and they are pushing us from from one media to the other. Where, for instance, a lot of people are talking about Dr. McCullough's website mm-hmm. and how Google is not channeling clicks to his website. So Dr. Mercola is a hugely popular alternative health kind mm-hmm. of a guru type person. And he has millions of followers as my guess. Right. And so when he notices a significant decline in visits right. to his site, he, you know, that sets off some flags that there's something going on. Right. Right. And so, and so we should all be able to have equal access to all the information out there and not be funneled towards an echo chamber with a very specific, um, what's the word I'm looking for, babe? A very specific agenda, right. basically. And so, and that's what we're seeing. So these drug companies, they are infiltrating politics, they're infiltrating media, infiltrating our Google searches, our Instagrams, our, our Facebook. And they're doing and it. And we don't the, even realize it. And they're doing it in the name of protecting us, right? right? They're saying that we are, we're too dumb to know truth from fiction Mm-hmm. And therefore, they should choose what we're allowed to hear. And what they should be doing, what we believe in, is educating the people, right? right? Because as we've just described here, when the system is biased in one direction, the average person is not going to understand what is actually truth and what is not. And we need to be able to get the options out there. We need people to start to learn to think critically, to think right. for themselves, to apply this information in their lives and see what actually works mm-hmm. for them. So an experiment you guys can do at home is go to Google and type in GMO is, and then see the options that come up for you. Organic is, see the options that come up for you. Um, now the, the, the bigger problem and sorry, I'll let you ahead. finish that. The bigger problem here is that we don't have big broccoli to counter big pharma, right? Mm -hmm. We don't have 
big Whole no. Foods. No, that can, we have tiny farmers. There isn't research funding mm-hmm. to support the other side of this question. It's like so, David and Goliath, basically. Mm-hmm. But David is not winning so, in the end. So this cycle of public policy, public opinion, public funding, and uh, the, the medical world is not being matched on the other side of Whole Foods being studied and looking at all the wonderful benefits of them and then having the media report on how awesome these Whole Foods are and then having all the people think, oh my goodness, why would I ever touch a medication when I can just change my lifestyle? Right. And that's where, I mean, that's, that's what we're trying to do, right? That's where anecdotal evidence comes in. All right. So, so maybe we should go into that. Now that we've kind of seen how research can be entirely flawed in how it's conducted, and even if it's conducted well, how it can be incredibly biased in what actually gets studied and what doesn't get studied, what on earth do can we, do? we trust, right? What right. can we do? And I, there are really three primary things that I could come up with that I think are, are trustworthy. The first really is personalized nutrition, meaning get yourself tested, right? Do mm-hmm. the blood testing, do the, look do at, the nutritional testing. Look do at your the, entire health history. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I, and I mentioned this on the other podcast, like how many times have you taken antibiotics? That's going to completely change the way you metabolize nutrients, mm-hmm. you know? So look at your health history, look, do the blood work, do some testing and see where you need to go from there. Right. Or like really do a workup with a good nutritionist mm-hmm. and just based on your history alone, they might be able to figure out 90% of what's going on. Now, I want to emphasize a good nutritionist. Doctors are not nutritionists, guys. They don't don't go to your doctor training. and ask them how you should eat food because they're going to tell uh, you to like drink V8 or something. Unless, unless no, they V8 happen- is not a vegetable, guys. I'm so, it's so many vegetables, people- actually. <laughs> so many people ask me, I probably get that, that question like once a week. Can I drink V8 as a vegetable serving? And I'm like, no. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't count. Doesn't count. Um, so now, don't go to doctors for nutrition advice. Unless that doctor did extra studying to right. become a nutritional counselor Expert on or something. top of it, right? Exactly. But most of them haven't. Um, but- Okay. So that's number get, one. Get some personalized recommendations. That's, that's really the most important thing you can do. The next thing is clinical experience. And this is for me by far the most important thing. What has worked for other people mm-hmm. in the real world, yeah. right? We have mentors. These are our nutritionists, doctors, whatever, who have been working with people for decades. Yes. Cecilia, right? Your yes. mom is another one. And they've found what works because they've seen it happen over and over and over again. Yes. In other words, it's, it's repeatable for them. Yep. It's predictable. Yep. That's good science. Yep. That's really good science. And, and it's actually causative because they can take a person who's sick, they can give them a recommendation, that recommendation gets applied, and then they see the results of it. Mm-hmm. And if it's good over and over and over again, bam, you've got yourself causation yeah, right there. Yep. And that is way more valuable than any correlation study that has 500,000 participants. Yep. Um, and then the last thing, and actually this one is the most important for you, and that is your personal experience. Exactly. It's also the hardest one because we've been trained not to trust our personal experience. We've been trained to trust the doctor's opinions. We've been trust. We've been trained to trust everything but us, mm-hmm. right? Even if you do something and over and over again, you get good results from it. As yeah. soon as a doctor tells you that that doesn't actually work. Right. So many people, it stops working for them. Mm-hmm. It's the opposite of the placebo effect. It's the nocebo effect. Right. And it's very powerful. It's very real. And it's very detrimental. Yes. 
So those are the three things. Get some personalized recommendations. Mm -hmm. Trust the clinical wisdom of people who have been in the trenches for a long time. And then learn to trust yourself. Learn to develop your intuition and to believe what it's telling you. Exactly. And that's, I mean, that's what we're about, right? We want to empower you to trust yourself, Mm -hmm. to be able to- To be your own self-advocate. Yeah. To be able to come up with solutions that you know will work and to follow through on those and get results. Yeah. Like take the information that we share with you and research it and then keep looking in other places. Like I even tell people, don't trust your doctors. Don't even like fully trust us because we only have so much information. Now we're constantly looking for more information to help our clients and to help you guys. Mm -hmm. But there's only two of us and there's like mountains and mountains of info out there. So So start digging if you want, you know. And going forward, you'll probably notice a lot where we do talk about research and a potential conclusion is drawn based Mm -hmm. on research. And you'll hear me go, oh, (laughs) you'll hear the groans coming from from Tristan because that this is what goes into that. Right. I know Mm -hmm. all of the bias. I know all of the the inaccurate methodology that Mm -hmm. happens. I know all of the the political issues that play into these things. And so I'm always hesitant to jump into believing one of these research articles Mm -hmm. until I'm able to apply it in a personal and clinical history sense and Mm -hmm. and all of that. Exactly. So hopefully that was helpful guys. And, um, Oh, I just want to share a quick story. This is Tristan that has completely transformed his opinions on research. When he was in his PhD program, he, I would bring him information and he'd always be like, where's the research? Where's the research? Show me the research. That's not peer reviewed research. I'm not going to read it. (laughs) So for Tristan to do this 180 and tell you to question everything, it means he has done some really deep soul searching and, and research searching actually. And he realized that the research failed him over and over and over again. And so he, he learned that he could use it objectively, but not personalize it. And I, I think where we've come to is more of a middle ground, mm-hmm. right? Where yeah. you've got the kind of the intuitive wisdom that is very popular in alternative health. Yep. You have the research data that is popular in conventional medicine. And somewhere betwixt the two, you have the the middle ground that tends to lead to actual truth exactly right and and our goal is to help people find that mm-hmm. um, for themselves and our goal is to kind of spread the word exactly now like I said before this is I, I've got this download that we're going to make available on the show notes um, where you can come and see all of this data that I put together you can kind of just get the the big picture that went into this episode and Tristan's dig deeper. Tristan's left like. brain just exploding all over the place. <laughs> um, and I highly recommend you check it out. Send it to your doctor. <laughs> Why are you laughing? <laughs> Send it to your doctor um, who will not read it. Who won't read it. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, we that's really available. respect doctors, guys. I promise. Um, and <laughs> I I guess that's it. Is there anything else we no, need to hit? That's it. Great, Thanks, you guys, we for checking in. Came in at just about an hour. Not too bad. Yeah. See you next time.